0: I hope that's never happened to you. Sometimes turkeys catch on fire. Sometimes things don't turn out as expected. You know what? Um, Every year... I tell you, when I when I put them in the box, they weren't like this. They were just beautifully wrapped. I don't know if somebody's sneaking into the Christmas box and messing all this up, but this is a problem. Turkey's on fire is a problem, and uh, this is a problem, Tangled Lights. Today we're talking about Christmas Untangled. We're in a series uh, for Christmas about... Increasing our hope. And how exactly does that happen? How do we increase our hope? And you know what we saw last week is there are four biographies of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Last week, we looked at Luke's biography of Jesus. And strangely enough, everybody, the biography begins with the birth of Christ, but it doesn't begin with his birth story. It begins with a story of infertility. A couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, were going through the pain of infertility. It's a very, very difficult thing. This week, what we see is Mary and Joseph. And again, the story doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. It actually begins with an imminent divorce. You know, what's so interesting about Christmas, the Christmas story in the Bible, is it's not filled with sugar plums dancing in our heads, it's filled with the raw realities of life. And what we're told here and in so many places in the Bible is how can we actually practically increase our hope, which is what we're after today. How do we increase our hope? I'd mentioned last week this Dr. Shane Lopez. Uh, he was, he's no longer living, but he used to be considered to work for Gallup and he did so much research. He was considered the world's leading researcher on the subject of hope. And last week, what we said is that we should give it to grow. It's why we had all these great stories a few minutes ago. That was just super cool. Isn't it great to hear good stories like that? Did you all read that story on Facebook, you know, that came out recently about the mom down in Orlando who's flying? Anybody read that story flying from Orlando with her 11-month-old baby who was very very, very sick going to the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia? And she's pushing the stroller, and she's got the baby, and she's got the oxygen tank for the baby, right? And she gets on the baby screaming and crying, and she's sitting back in coach. And the gentleman who was sitting in 2D, first class, gave up his seat, said, let the mom and the baby sit up here. It's just gone totally viral on Facebook. When you hear stuff like that, it's awesome. So we give it to grow it, right? That's how you receive hope is you, you receive hope by giving hope away. It's, it's, it's excellent. This week is what I going to say. Shane Lopez says, according to his research, and the Bible says that if you want to increase your hope, and hope is so vital, find something you're really excited about and invest yourself psychologically in that. Find something that you're really excited about and invest yourself psychologically in that. And what the angel says to Joseph here is, Joseph, you should consider this, investing yourself totally, completely, 100%. In the great work of Jesus Christ on this planet, it's a work of salvation. Jesus Christ has come because He's for people, because He loves people, He wants to rescue people, and not everybody is aware of that. Matter of fact, most people are unaware of that, and you need to be a part of that. But here's the problem, Joseph. This is this is causing him all kinds of issues. It's calling him public humiliation, like the work of Christ in his life. And for him to jump on board with this, he's publicly humiliated by it. Because, like, well, she says, you know, this angel appeared to her, and she's pregnant, and, you know, they're engaged. And engagement back then is kind of like today, but even much more so. So to break the engagement, they had to kind of get divorced. So this is a big deal. It's publicly humiliating. It's personal rejection. And all of that, everybody together leads to chaos in Joseph's life, leads to chaos in Mary's life. Do they trust God enough to endure the chaos? Anytime you have something new that happens in this world, it happens as a result of some chaos which is what this message is about today, that if you want to be filled with hope, and you should, because he is the God of hope, and life is so much better when you're hopeful. Life is so much better. People around you are better when you fill hope with it. You're better when you're filled with hope. Life is so much better. And if you want to do that, what the angel says to Joseph is invest yourself in this effort, but know this, you'll have to trust God to do it. It'll be difficult, there'll be chaos, there could be public humiliation, there could be personal rejection, there'll be chaos all around you, but do you trust God enough to do it? And that is what we're going to talk about this morning. So, in Matthew chapter 1, it hints to Isaiah chapter 7, because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there was this prophecy, and everybody living in Israel was waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. The virgin shall be with child. With child with who? The Messiah. Mr. Hope himself is coming. Everybody's waiting for Mr. Hope. Everybody's waiting for the Messiah to show up. And then all of a sudden, he shows up. And Mary's saying, Hey, you know, the angel appeared to me and I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. And it's like, okay, all right, okay, I hear you saying that. The virgin will be with child, but not this virgin, not my virgin. Can we could, could you could you use somebody else's virgin? Because everybody's staring at me like, what's wrong with you? You understand the complication here? This is a problem. Will he trust God enough? Will he invest himself fully in this effort. So I got one fill in the blank for you to uh, think about filling out, and that is this. Reach out for the right thing. Reach out for the right thing. I know a lot of us, we reach out. Sometimes I reach out for the wrong thing. I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't reach out at all. Life has a way of making me cynical and jaded. When people or situations go wrong for me, it has, it has a way of making me pull back. You see this story here? What is Joseph doing? He said, you know what? I'm going to pull back. I'm going to divorce her. Like I'm pulling physically back, legally back. I'm just pulling back. And the angel says, no, no. The way to hope is not backwards. It's forwards. It's actually reaching out. But it's reaching out for the right thing. Life can make us cynical and jaded, and we pull back. That's not the way to go. Safety is not the way to go. We have to, sh- we have to push off the shores of safety and toward Christ's great mission in this world, and that is the path to hope. Uh, I'd like to talk to you, because I said this last week when I ended, I, I want to talk to you about five wet monkeys. So <clears throat> there was an experiment done many, many years ago that put five monkeys in a cage with a ladder and some bananas up top. And uh, lo and behold, one of the monkeys, of course he did, he began to climb the little ladder and he reached out for that banana. And when they did, they got a hose and they sprayed that monkey and all his buddies down below with cold water. Oh yes, monkeys don't like cold water. And so they were very upset it was a bad moment for them. And uh, they recovered. They, sh- they shook it off. And then monkey number two. Monkey says, you know what? I'm going to give it because that banana really looks good. So I'm going to reach out, reach out. And that poor little monkey reached out for that banana. And then they, dumb little monkey, they sprayed everybody down with, co- with the cold water again. like That monkey on the ladder and everybody down below. And they, of course, were very upset. So, so, after a little while, a third monkey goes up the ladder. And this time, you know what they did? They didn't do anything, they didn't spray anybody with cold water because the other four monkeys down below grabbed the poor little monkey on the ladder and dragged him down and beat him till he was bruised and bleeding. Yes, it was a terrible monkey. Terrible monkeys to do that. And so they got rid of one of the cold, wet monkeys, right? And they bring in a fresh, dry monkey, happy little monkey. And he comes in, and that dumb little monkey, he climbs the ladder and he grabs. And you know what happened? The other four monkeys grabbed him, pulled him down, and beat him up. Yes, so they get rid of another wet monkey. Now they got two dry monkeys. One of them is bleeding, right? And the other is fresh. And then you have three other cold, wet monkeys in there, right? And so the new monkey goes up the ladder. You know what they do? They drag them down and they beat them up. Now, they keep the cycle going until all the cold, wet monkeys are gone and all you have is five dry monkeys. And you know what they keep doing? They keep dragging the monkeys down from the bananas. Does that feel like you ever? You're like, you've been through so much in life. Like you used to reach out for the banana, but you're like, no, 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 dumb monkey. Dumb monkey, I'm not reaching out for the banana anymore. Life has a way of doing that. I think this is in some ways how Joseph felt not that he was a monkey, but uh, I think maybe he felt some, some a little bit about that. He's like, he's pulling away from Mary, you know, and this angel showing up, but he's planning on having a divorce. He's pulling completely back, but that's not the path to hope. That's not the path to living. That's not the path to living a full life. And I know some of us in this room and some of us watching on Grace Live, we've been through some really tough things, but the path to a better life, a more hopeful life is not pulling away. It is actually reaching out, but reaching out for the right thing. I know some of us, we reach out like, hey, John, I'm reaching out. I'm reaching out all the time. The the, the big question is, are you reaching out, and are you reaching out for the right thing that brings hope? And the angel says the right thing to reach out is to at least, there's a lot of great things to reach out to in life. There's a lot of great things, but at least what the angel says here is the mission of Jesus Christ, and that is a salvation mission, and are you willing to serve it because it comes with certain costs, There is a price tag because anytime something new happens, there is chaos that surrounds it. Mary and Joseph, case... Example, right here, is what they go through. Do we as a community, do you as a person want to be a part of that great redemption effort of Jesus Christ in the world, that he is for us, he's not against us? As it says, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. It says he's with us, which means he's for us. He is not against us. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. That is love. Tangled lights in all. That's the story of Christmas. story of Christmas is that God does not come down to earth and just pick up the lights that are wrapped beautifully. The story of Christmas is that the world is filled with nothing but tangled lights. We are a church of nothing but tangled lights and that God loves us so much that he comes and invests himself fully, psychologically, 100% of his being in us to save us. And for us to participate in that, we have to be on board with the fact that God is for all people, even the people that we don't like or we don't care or whatever else it might be. His is a rescue effort. That God is for us and when we invest ourselves in that and we reach out for the right thing We will begin to be filled with hope even in the midst of chaos I'd like to show you a video Ali did a video for us. If you'll watch the screen I think you'll get the point
1: when I look back on my story I don't look at it as a story of shame or guilt or any regret. I really look at it as a story of God's redemption I grew up in a Muslim household. Uh, I attended church regularly Once I was old enough to drive, I I stopped attending church. As I got older, uh, I moved off to go to school and I really left all my family and friends behind. After school, I got a job and I didn't really have any friends or any family in the area and I started to feel really lonely. Often I would wonder if if anyone would even cry at my funeral. Um, It made me feel really sad and alone in the world. Um, I didn't really feel like God loved me. I didn't really love myself. And I didn't really take the time to love other people. Uh, This left me feeling really empty inside and and really isolated. Uh, And so I filled that emptiness with drugs, partying, alcohol, and porn. And of course, that left me feeling really ashamed and guilty. When I was out partying, I felt like there had to be more in life. Uh, I felt like there was this emptiness inside of me and that there had to have been something that could fill it. It took me about two years, but I I started changing my life. I gave up the partying and the drugs. uh, And I really felt that it was time for me to surround myself with a better community. So when I first started coming to Grace, I remember thinking I wasn't ready to serve. Uh, But once I made that decision, it gave me more and more of a sense of purpose and inspired me to want to greet more and more and serve in more and more capacities. The more that I serve, the more fulfillment I get, uh, the more that I see the impact that I have on other people, uh, the more it inspires me to continue to do it, uh, the better the feeling I get from doing it. So the best part about uh, my experience at Grace has been, I met my wonderful and lovely fiance, Ravine. We were hosting a small group at my house, and she literally showed up on my doorstep, talked about a gift from God, um, and now we're engaged, and we we're getting married in September. So she's been the ultimate blessing. Well, one thing I hope that is that when people hear my story, they realize that you know the grass can be greener on the other side; that there is hope for the future, and and that you know regardless of the decisions that they've made or you know where they are in their life, that. God is there and is looking out for their best interests and, you know, wants to use them for his glory. Oh, yeah, it's
0: very nice. <clears throat> um, I want to draw your attention to the final words that Ali said there, that God is there and he's looking out for your best interests and there is hope. Uh, And you notice that in that story, right? uh, First of all, he was not reaching out. He was isolated. Then he was reaching out, but reaching out for the wrong things. And then he began to reach out and began to serve the great mission of Christ. Now, the way he described it is that he is serving here at Grace. My question to you is, is, how are you serving the great mission of Christ? I know we're busy. I know that we have a lot of stuff to do. And there's so much. There's such a demand here, particularly in this great city. The demand is great. The stress is high. But before long, we find ourselves getting hollowed out. We're not filled with hope anymore. And what is, what is critically important is that if we want to be a people of hope, then we need to reach out towards the things that bring hope. I, I know your work is really important, and I know your personal life and the things that you do are incredibly important. Okay, but they might not not necessarily be filling you with hope. Here is what the angel is saying. Are you willing or what are you doing or will you give some of your time, talent and treasure, some of your energy, enthusiasm and excellence towards the great mission of Jesus Christ in this world? Are you serving that some way? One of the ways you can do it, if you're not serving somehow here, this don't, okay, if you're not serving somehow here, you can rip out of your bulletin and connect card and say, I'd like to serve and give us a way to contact you. But somehow, some way, if you want to be filled with hope, what are you doing to serve the greatest story of hope that the world has ever heard? There is not another story like it where God comes down. And bleeds and dies and love. There's not another story about it. It's so unique. Are you serving that story? Are you investing yourself completely and psychologically? It's Christmas time. And when I was a kid, about the time I was 9 or 10, I started skateboarding. And my gosh, that's my whole life was skateboarding. I loved it so much. I fully, fully, fully invested myself psychologically in skateboarding. I loved it. And here are some of the things that I noticed about myself that I did when it came to skateboarding. Because I was invested. I prayed about skateboarding. Yeah prayed to be a better skateboarder. I prayed to have a better skateboard, right? I, I, this is what I did. I lived right down the street. You can see it. If you get on Glebe Road and drive south, you get to 8th Street, hang a right, go a couple blocks. There's a hill there on 8th Street right there. It's a huge hill. seemed even bigger back in those days. When I was 10 years old, no helmet, no pads. We would go down, no helmet, no pads, and there was a side street that actually pulled in, so it was so easy just to die, right? So... <laughs> we'd go down the hill and the old skateboards I don't think it happens as much today but those old skateboards when you started going a certain speed some older people are in the room it would shimmy really bad has anybody ever been on a skateboard that shimmy really bad and it would go so bad and no helmet no pads and off you go and shorts and a t-shirt and just ripped up and you'd get on your skateboard and you'd go and do it again because you were willing to suffer for the cause of skateboarding. You were willing to do that and you prayed about it and you gave yourself fully and you wanted to be the best skateboarder. I was so into it. I'd go to a skate park. There was one down in Alexandria off of Duke Street and I would just, I, if I had to walk there, I'd walk there. I wanted to go there absolutely all the time. I remember my grandfather. Toward the end of his life, he had Alzheimer's, and I was begging one day to go to the skate park. He said, I'll take you and I'll drive you. I'm like, oh, is that okay? I'm, I'm, I'm ten years, I'm ten years old, every, I'm ten years old. He said, I'll take you. I was like, okay, let's go. You know, I, you know, did he make it back home okay? I don't know, but I was into, I was into skate, I was into, I was ten years old. I was into skateboarding. Okay, I was in, and I wanted to, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be good in things that we would do, right? To put our lives at risk. I got to the point that I could skateboard in a pool and like go up over the top of it in the air and spin around and come back down. Why would we do that? That was so it's it's crazy. I'm not going to make any money doing this. What I'm saying to you, as I was I was praying, I was willing to suffer. I wanted to be the best. I invested fully. This is the greatest story that's ever been hold to humanity. It's unique that God is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. He's not against you. Are you serving that great mission of Jesus? This is what the angel says. Hey, I know, Joseph, you're going through a personal crisis here. Like Your whole life is in chaos. Do you trust God enough to endure the chaos to give yourself fully to this? Because if you do, the God of hope will fill you with all hope. The thing is, is that God is for us. Are you telling that story to the world? You know, if you read the surveys, everybody, the surveys are always the same. Hey, ask a person on the street, what, what's the Christian church about? What's You know, what's the, what's the Christian church about? And people way like 95 plus percent. The percentage is off the charts. That will, they will tell you the top things. They'll tell you what the church is against. They'll tell you what a Christian church is against. They have no idea what it's for, for the most part, but they will tell you what it's against. I sat in a meeting with a bunch of uh, other people, uh, Christian leaders, right? And it was a part of this organization. They were trying to decide some things about their beliefs page and what they wanted to put on it. And a whole faction in the room says, you know what? There's an issue going on in our world, and we need to put it right there on the beliefs page that we are against this. Because people need to know, well, why? Why? Why do we need to do that? Because if you do that, things are clear. There's clarity. There's not confusion. And we need to be clear right up front. We are against this. That's not Jesus. Jesus created chaos and confusion everywhere he went. I just want to say that. If you're like, well, what are you saying, John? Please read the four biographies of Jesus. He, like, he's, go, he's, he's in the home of Matthew. He walks up to Matthew. Matthew is a thief. He's working for the mafia, basically. What he should have said to Matthew is, stop doing that. And he didn't. What did he say to him? Follow me. Matthew says, hey, you want to come to my house? And Jesus said, sure, let's go. (laughs) And all the religious people around like, hey, man, you're confusing us. Tell him he's wrong. Are you willing to trust God enough, Joseph? To endure chaos because that's what it, Because anytime something new is being born, it takes chaos. We need to know that God is for us. Um, we're a part of uh, this organization called North Point, and I got to go down. There's like 75 churches that are a part of it, it's a huge church in Atlanta. And I got the chance to go down. This was really cool. So the former CEO of Home Depot came in and talked to us. There's less than 100 of us in the room. And the former CEO of Home Depot, his name is Frank Blake, came in and talked to us, and this was fact. To be in such a small room and to be able to ask questions to somebody at that level was awesome. He's a lawyer, started out clerking at the Supreme Court. Then he went to work for Jack Welsh up in New York. It was a direct report to Jack Welsh. And then he went to work for Home Depot. Never, never he said i never thought on a rainy night in atlanta driving home if i ran the home depot i would do it like this he never had a thought about leadership never thought he's going to be a leader at all he's just a lawyer he's working in there and one night he gets the call and he says we have just fired the ceo and the board has made you the ceo he's like oh my gosh he got on a plane the next morning with the ceo they got on a private Home Depot jet. I wonder what it looks like. And they flew down to Texas. And the CEO didn't know that he's getting fired, but this Frank Blake knew he was getting fired. So they went down there together, and then he came back by himself. And when he got back, so on actually on his way back, his wife, Frank Blake, was not a church attender. Uh, his wife was going to a North Point church down there and gave him a leadership talk from one of the pastors. And he said, that was one of the best leadership talks I ever heard before. So when he got back, he had to figure out how to be a leader. So who did he call? He called what most people think is one of the greatest corporate leaders we've ever known, Jack Welsh. He's known him for years. He says, can I come down and see you in Florida? Sure, come on down. They had a nice long talk. And then he said, Jack, I need to know, because I haven't thought much about leadership, what is the greatest quality of a leader? I need to know. Now, his response floored me. Maybe it'll floor you. His response floored me. Here's what Jack Welsh says, one of the greatest corporate leaders ever. He says, the greatest quality of a leader is generosity. Because people, followers, people on a team need to know that the leader is for them, not against them. And that's why it's the greatest quality. Well, everybody, I want to tell you this. Jesus Christ is for you. He is the greatest leader. Statistically speaking, it's not my opinion. There are more followers of Jesus Christ on this planet than anybody and any other leader there is. Okay? So statistically speaking, he's the greatest leader because leadership is influence. Right? Jesus Christ is for us. Not against us. What I'm asking is, will you consider to be filled with hope, participating in his great rescue effort? Will you serve? Will you serve in the church? Will you serve your neighbors? Will you make sure that people who you know, friends, family, neighbors, that they understand that Christ is for them? And they say, well, what about all these things? You know what? You know what Jesus did? Here's the thing that floored me about Jesus. Sometimes he wouldn't answer people's questions. It's really ridiculous because I would well, answer the question because I would like to know what the answer to the question is. And they would ask him questions. He's like, okay, I'll answer your question if you can answer, ask, answer my question. And it was a question that nobody could answer. So they would all walk away, but he wouldn't answer the question. I feel and many Christians, you know, it happens all the time on TV, put a mic in front of a Christian's face. Hey, can you answer this question? And then immediately they'll answer the question because we feel like we got to answer every question. But Jesus didn't, he's our leader. He didn't answer every question. People ask me questions. I can't answer them all the time. I want to, and I feel like if I can't, I should stop being a pastor because I don't have the answer. It's a terrible thing. Chaos. Confusion. Jesus. He is for us. He is not against us. He is for us. Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that we might have hope. I just want to suggest that the way to read the Bible, if you're reading through the Bible, and you're like, okay, I'm looking for all these great examples of people that I can follow who got it right. The Bible's not filled with that. There's only one hero in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. Everybody else in the Bible is a tangled light that God patiently, pati- we're all tangled lights. We're a church of tangled lights living in a world of tangled lights. And he patiently works with all of us. And that is why we can have hope. Because it doesn't matter how tangled you feel your life is. And maybe you know it is and some of us don't know it's so tangled, right? Everybody else is like, my gosh, your life is so tangled, right? But, but, but he patiently, lovingly is for us, for us, for us to work with our life so that our life can be filled with hope. So um, our theme verse has been Romans 15, 13. I'd like to take a moment for all of us to read it together because there's a key right in the middle of Romans fifteen thirteen. It's on the screen. It's on your bulletin. Uh, we're going to be just slightly liturgical for a moment. And can we just all read this Romans fifteen thirteen together? Ready? One, two, three. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the key in the middle of that verse? It's trust. Will you trust God enough to focus on what God is for and not what God is against? Will you trust God enough to deal with the chaos that always ensues after you focus on what Christ is for and not against? Because there will be chaos, Joseph and Mary. Trust me trust me. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. I have a very clear question for you. Will you so invest yourself in the great rescue salvation effort of Jesus Christ and tell the world that he is for them, for them, so much so that when people say, well, you can't do that. You've got to make it clear about all these things that Jesus is against. Will you trust? This is what God is saying to Mary. and Joseph. Will you trust God that much to leave all that chaos with him? Because you'll never have anything new. You'll never experience the new birth. Anytime, anytime, anybody that there There's a great amount of new birth, spiritual new birth because people are receiving Christ as Savior. There is chaos in the church. I hope we are always a church of tremendous chaos. Because it is absolutely impossible, impossible, impossible to be a place of new birth unless we're willing to deal with the chaos. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures about that. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen: Who, Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. Okay, so that's where we're going. We're new creations. Look what Genesis chapter one: When the world is created by God, look what it says happened. When God began creating the heavens. And the earth, the earth was shapeless, earth was a shapeless chaotic mass. God brought order to the chaos, but it just keeps happening over and over. There's chaos, there's order and new birth, and there's chaos, and there's order and new birth. All right? So the church had to be greatly reformed back in the 1500s. We called it the Great Reformation. Sorry if you're Catholic for Catholic background, that bothers you. It's called the Great Reformation. You know what the reformer said? The church has to keep reforming itself. The one thing we've learned from this experience, the Great Reformer says, is we have to always keep reforming. That means chaos. We have to keep allowing the cycle to happen over and over and over again. Philip Yancey writes in his book, Vanishing Grace, uh, this story about uh, Christopher Hitchens and Francis Collins. Francis Collins is the director of NIH over here in Bethesda, right? Super smart guy. When he was up to be, uh, you know, to be nominated to be the director, scientists all over uh, the country were kind of going nuts, particularly the new atheists, what we call like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and the like. And they're like, oh, no way, man. This guy believes in Jesus. He believes in the Bible. People said he's a clown. Now, this is public. You got a super smart guy and people are saying he's a clown. He's ridiculous. Don't put him in there. I think he's suffering from dementia, right? Because he believes in the God of the Bible. He believes in Jesus. Dawkins was on Bill Maher's show and he said, yeah, he's not a very bright guy. And Bill Maher said, yeah, he believes in that stupid talking snake. We can't have somebody like that directing. And so Collins would often be in circles where he's with people like Christopher Hitchens and they would just they would just fry him like stupid, He, you know, all these things. He's not bright. He's not smart, all this. Well, lo and behold, he becomes the director of the NIH and he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Now, with all that going through, what do you think Collins would do, right, when he comes to having to deal with people who have said so many bad things about him, right? The natural thing is to pull back, right, Joseph? To pull back. I'm not going to help them. Christopher Hitchens gets throat cancer. This guy who had blistered him so much in the press before, gets throat, blistered him so much at debates, he gets throat cancer. What does Collins do? What's the path to hope? What's the path? Francis Collins pushes in. He contacts his Hitchens, contacts his family, he says, Listen, I'm the director of NIH. I know you know that. But uh, we have all kinds of things that are happening here: cutting-edge stuff, medical research. I want to come and just serve you. He flies up to New York, he spends hours and hours and hours with the family talking about how they can make his life better. You know what some Christians did, right? On, on, on social media out there, they're like, great. Christopher Hitchens has cancer in his throat. God has struck him. God has struck him in the one place that he's used to blaspheme God. I can't wait for Christopher Hitchens to go to jail. That's not the way to hope, by the way. So Francis Collins reaches out to Christopher Hitchens over and over. He's there patiently helping to work through. Now, Hitchens is chronicling all of this, his kind of his death journey in Vanity Fair. One of his last entries was to say, Francis Collins one of America's greatest citizens and the most selfless Christian physician. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to invest yourself psychologically in that? Some people would have said, hey, Collins, you need to make it clear, this man's going to hell this man's blaspheming. And Colin says, no, I'm not going to do that. I just want him to know that God loves him and that God is for him. There's going to be chaos that happens. And I sure hope, everybody, that we are just fully into chaos here at Grace Community Church. You can't have something new. You can't have something be born again unless there's chaos. Anybody been in a birth room, right, where somebody's giving birth to a baby? Total chaos. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just yelling, screaming. People calling each other names. Not that my wife did that. Blood all over the place. It's chaos. It's crazy. How about a kitchen? This is why I don't cook. It's cooking, man. There's stuff everywhere. I mean, good. Let's just have a peanut butter sandwich. Let's make it simple. Look, I like order. I really like order. i just kind of a little bit OCD and anal, and I got all this going on. I like everything put in its place. So this is very difficult. I'm saying this. So if this is freaking you out, I'm telling you, it's freaking me out even more. Okay? I like order. Art studio. I could never be an artist. I could never. I don't want even want to be in a building where there is an art studio. You know what I'm saying? Because it looked like somebody just took a can of paint and just a bomb just explodes all over. It's everywhere. It's ridiculous. How can these people do anything in this room? If we are unwilling to deal with the chaos... Now, look, we're going to talk a lot more about this in January. We're going to do a study on the book of Romans. I can't wait to start this book of Romans. So we're just kind of skimming the top. But you just think corporately. How many great, great, great corporations said, nope, nope, we like the way things are. We don't want to reform. We don't want the chaos of doing something new. And so they're no longer with us. I'll give you one word, blockbuster. Blockbuster. When's the last time you saw a blockbuster store? They could have been at the forefront of digital, but they said, nope, we think that all that's a passing fad. The DVD is here to stay with the VHS tape, right? If you want to be a part of something exciting, you're going to have to embrace the chaos. You're going to have to focus on what Christ is for. Will you serve that? Will you invest yourself fully, fully, fully in that? Because that's where all the excitement and all the hope is. And that's what Shane Lopez says. And So there's my, there's my challenge to you. Will you invest in tangled lights? Will you do that to increase your hope and increase the hope on the planet? Okay. I'm going to ask, we have a communion team. I'm going to ask the communion team to go back and grab the trays. I'm going to explain communion, everybody, real quick. I'll explain. And the music team's going to come up. Well, Michaela and Joshua are going to come up. And I want to explain. So if you're new, like, oh, man, I've, I'm, I'm here. It's my first time, and you guys are doing communion. What's that all about? I'll explain what communion is all about. Number one, number one, everybody, communion at Grace Community Church is open to everybody here. You don't have to take it. Don't feel any pressure to take it. I was speaking to somebody, Is their first time here. They actually, this morning before the 930 service, they have never been in church ever, ever in their life before. That's maybe you. We have a very large amount of people. I know Brian talked about the survey we're doing. Grace is a little unique that way. 40% of our congregation self-classifies as a non-churchal. We have people come here all the time. They've never, ever been in church before in their life. So maybe you're like, "Oh, oh, well, what is all of this about? So I'm going to try to explain that. But here's the first thing I want to say. If you decide not to take communion, that is completely fine. You're not in the type of community here where people are going to like, why is that person not taking communion? What's wrong with them? You're not in that community, okay? It's open to everybody. Don't feel that you have to take it, all right? We are going to pass around these trays. They're going to come out. The teams come out. It's going to pass. It's going to go up and down the aisle. And the tray, in the center of the tray, is like these little wafers. They're very thin. And it, it represents the body of Christ, the bread, right? You'll take that. You'll take the cup. And if you'll do me a favor and just hold it, we're all going to eat and drink. We're going to all eat and drink together. Okay. I want to say a word about the significance of communion because communion is a very significant moment. I mean, the one thing the Bible says very clear is that we should examine ourselves, we should think. And when it says examine ourselves, we just need to think about where we are and our own understanding of who Christ is. So if I can say real quickly, everybody, here is what communion represents. If it represents anything, it represents this. Jesus Christ has fully invested himself in you. So I've been talking a lot about fully investing in something that you're totally excited about. If communion is anything, it's his body and his blood, which in the scriptures means it's his whole being saying, I love you, I'm for you, I will give my life for you on your worst day, on your worst day. And this is what communion, so it's a very serious moment because the love of Christ is so incredible. And I just hope in these next few moments, as Michaela sings the song, that you will think about his incredible love for you and you will consider no matter where you are spiritually, you will consider serving his great mission on this earth that he is for us and salvation is found in Jesus Christ because of his tremendous love. Now, I want to say something about Michaela. Come on over, Michaela. This is Michaela's last Sunday. Yes. Yes, I heard that groan. We're all feeling the same way. Uh, Michaela has been exceptional. She's been nothing but a pure joy to serve alongside. She's been on staff for a number of years at Grace. I will not forget the day that Michaela sat right here in this section right here with her husband, Scott. We were doing Grace and Five, and we were going around, where are you from? Michaela says, we're from San Diego. And my first reaction was, why in the world would you leave San Diego to come (laughs) in? What were you thinking? Uh, As you know, Michaela has a tremendous amount of talent musically. Just fabulous. And you're getting ready to hear that again in these next moments. Michaela also has just a huge heart to help people. And Michaela's done both music and missions for us and has just made a huge impact. She could probably tell stories for, for many, many hours, of the things that have happened. And a lot of that has been Michaela's initiative because she has a desire to let people know that God is for them, not against them. And it's wonderful and it's been powerful. And it's going to be really, really sad to see her go because she has blessed our staff, she's blessed our church, and she's blessed Chris and I, our lives personally. She wanted to sing a special song uh, on her last Sunday. It's a song by Lauren Daigle, and there's a line in there that says, Come and see what God has done. Come and see what God has done. So um, after we're done today, please make sure you have an opportunity to thank Michaela for all that she has done here at Grace. Thanks. Thank you, Michaela. Great. It's a story of amazing love. I'd like to, if, if possible, try to explain what communion and what salvation really means in less than 30 seconds it's when we finally come to the end of ourselves and say, you know what? There's nothing I can do to make myself right with God. I have to fully trust in Him. I'm the same as everybody else, loved by God. But I'm tired of trying to save myself by my own human effort of being whatever I think good is. It's the only thing that stands between us and God is our desire to save ourselves. Instead, we look to Him in His story of amazing love and say, you know what? I surrender to Your love and I receive Your love. Come into my life and save my soul. And Christ will come in fully, fully invested in You. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this story of amazing love. You have given Yourself fully to us Because of your love for us, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. May we be filled with your spirit and hope. In Christ's name, amen. Let's eat and drink together. I know some of you will be um, traveling soon. So if we don't see you next Sunday, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and God's, God's blessing be upon you in the new year. And I want to remind you, either it's you or it's somebody you know who is looking to be filled with hope. Our prayer team is going to be right over here. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, fill us, God of all hope, fill us with hope by the power of your spirit. Help us to understand this story of amazing love.